Hello and welcome. Today in studio we have Joe and Dave of The New Academics. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. No hey, problem. thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So tell us how the band got started. What's the story? Go. <laughs> this story again. No, um, we uh, have known each other forever, mm -hmm. Dave and I. And we, uh, we actually uh, played music as kids together at sort of in orchestras and things like that. Dave played the violin and he played the upright bass. And I played the saxophone and the clarinet. And then as we were sort of going through puberty and entering adulthood, we decided to play different kinds of music. And we... Uh, <laughs> you <laughs> have to get puberty in there. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. Anyway, so we started playing uh, rock and roll and other kinds of music, basically. And we sort of, Dave started playing more and more guitar, and then we went to university, and we played God Awful Music in my room, like, once a month. I think we were Never trying to be Radiohead, initially. Yeah. So everything was fairly depro, with uh, a little sampler, and, and it was very mournful. And then uh, we realized that wasn't going to get us any action, or anything, really. So We just wanted good. a change, I think. So we started, like, listening to different stuff, and playing... Uh, playing slightly different music and it ended up, I think we ended up with a hybrid of, of, of our influences. But we did need to take some more like upbeat influences on board to actually like get out of just like making noise. That's what happens when you play clarinet and upright bass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how would you, you describe your sound basically? I would think, well, one thing that, that happened the first time around was that it became very, a lot of people sort of labeled it as kind of funk, yeah, with, with that funk band, you know, funk reggae, funk rock, funk, and uh, I think like both of us had a sort of active reaction yeah, against yeah, it yeah, because yeah. like, yeah, funk, I don't know if we really wanted to be that. Unfortunately, that's, it, is, it did kind of have that bounce to it in the beginning, and I think that the songwriting has changed over the, the life, the football installment one of the band, like we're playing again now after the first, well, for the first time for in a bit years, so, but, yeah, so I'd, I'd steer clear of that, but that seems to be the, the label that, we, that people have sort of stuck on us and, and, it's, and it has stuck. So, but I think we will, we're going to try and, and, and write some more stuff, hopefully, at some point during the next six to eight months. And, and we maybe try and change that through what we do. But we have been described as funky rock. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, I think that that label doesn't stick past the first half of our first album, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, there are like funky or hip hop type elements or dance groove type elements, but funky, I just think it's a word that people use that like they don't necessarily have a context for because they're not, they don't necessarily know what, if you say to me funk, I think like George Clinton and like Parliament Funkadelic. I don't think like, oh, like hip, like vaguely hip hop baseline or something like that. So I think if it grooves, then people sometimes tend to say it's funky. But to me, funky is like, you know, kink, kink, and I don't think it's ever been that. But certainly, I think as we go on, it'll be like, just like that. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. But I think it'll be darker and uh, more tortured and yeah, streaked with blood. So take us through the songwriting process, guys. It has always been pretty much Joan and me starting off with. I, it, 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 it actually the first album round there was it was mostly stuff that we had taken was we moved up here from Cape Town so we had about four or five tracks that we that we already had already written and we'd actually played all the bass lines into a little Roland sample box so all of the parts were kind of there um, and it, it was essentially Joe and me in a room and that never really changed we've kind of always had like the core of the idea has been like 
Joel have a bit and he'll stick it down and then I'll come around and add my bit and then the thing will, you know, we'll, we'll slice it up into chunks and rearrange them and eventually there'll be something sort of coherent there. Sometimes there's an idea of like 20 seconds that lays dormant for like two years before. It's a, wait a minute, let's go back to that thing and have a look at that. So there's, a, there's like a, a library of stuff that we've been messing around with and I've got a whole bunch and Joe's got a whole bunch and we generally get together at some point when the sort of muse hits and then you know try and do something and a lot of the stuff sort of just dies right then and there you know but and then some of them um were actually jams we had like you know when we were rehearsing regularly as a band a lot of the some of the the, the particularly the stuff that's on i think the, the latter half of the um city of strange album was some of the stuff was jams and there's one or two tracks even on the apple i think that that were actually just guys in a room and and all four of us actually wrote parts and and it sort of came together like that but mostly it's us sitting in front of Ableton or something. Yeah. So it's actually like a, a management process. Because like, let's say for example, Dave will bring a guitar riff because he's got like a million guitar riffs and he'll bring one and then part of the process will be like saying, that's cool, do that, but maybe, and, and then mm. cutting it up and using, and like bouncing off each other to, to because you know, when you play something yourself, and you put it together, it makes sense in your head, but maybe, maybe it's, it, it needs outside perspective. So mm. there's a certain amount of us like editing each other um, to, to come down to, um, to come down to sort of a finished song. But at the, end of the end of the day, most of the guitar parts come from Dave, pretty much everything, all the guitar parts and like all the melody lines pretty much come from me at the end of the day and then we mm. manage each other. Mm. So. And it's like, that's the a relationship you have to develop because yeah. what happens is, if you are vaguely passionate about an idea, you get quite defensive about it. So you have to learn. I think that's one thing that we've had to... Yeah. That's like why we write music together. It's because we now know how not to piss each other off <laughs> during that well. process. Well, maybe, sort of. We'll see but, yeah. in the coming few months. But we have like... Yeah. But, but you've got to be... You know, it's, that's, that's like a little dance you have to do with somebody if you're trying to create something with them because people get quite possessive and defensive about their ideas. And inevitably, everything that we've done as a group, like, started out as a crapper idea that came from one of us and is now being sort of massaged by other people. I believe that's a more idea. crap. Crapper. Crap a crapper is a crapper, noun. Crapper, a crapper is a noun. You go to the Sorry. toilet on a crapper. More crap is, is the adjective. It speaks to the writers. <laughs> but I think also, I mean, a big thing for me is that you have to control your ego to a certain degree. For me, I play quite a lot of instruments and it's very tempting to be like, hey, what about this? Hey, what about this? And it's not actually constructive and it's not, you know, like you have to also box yourself a little bit and be like, hey, if I'm sitting in a room next to him, I should not be picking up a guitar. It's that's really stupid. But I'm saying, you know, especially when I was younger, like that's difficult to control that ego because you want to like show that you can do stuff, but you actually mm. have to like realize what your strong points are yourself and you have to like take advantage of who you have in a room with you. Otherwise, I think it can be, and I see it a lot with younger guys, like everyone wants to show that they can do things. And it's like, you know, everyone can do, do things, but ultimately the, the end game is not to like imp, imp, impress the other person. The, the end game is to actually produce something. Yeah. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit more about the guitar. From that perspective, can you tell us a little bit more about the sound you strive for? You know, what are your aims and influences? I, I think the one thing that I always enjoy, I never really enjoyed like massively chunky, distorted stuff, maybe more so now than I, than I used to. But when I started playing, all the people that I was trying to sound like, all the tones I liked were sort of 
twangy, uh, you know, sort of grindy, kind of abrasive tones. So I was a big fan of, like when I picked up Electric, I was a big fan of John Frischiante and I was a big fan of um, uh, Tom Morello's playing and Kim Tyle was like, Kim Tyle is the reason why I wanted to play guitar. Of course, the Soundgarden. I love Soundgarden. So um, I, I liked those sort of, which is, that was a slight departure, I suppose, but he had this like, everything was kind of like, all three of those players have an element of like out of control. And I always like like that. So I suppose I tried to emulate that in some ways. And single coil pickups tend to do that. They're quite like twangy and abrasive. And it suited our, our setup as well, because we have a, a bottom end and a, and a sort of a sort of slab anchor and then something sort of on the top which is me and then then the vocal thing and we don't because we've never really done that sort of you know driving rock kind of sort of distorted Mesa boogie kind of tone so I've always liked um, sort of Fender tones and I've always liked things that are sort of slightly out of control so effects that are slightly unpredictable I love feedback I like noise I like finger noise on fretboards I like, you know, strings that haven't been cut off properly at the top that kind of jangle while you play, all that kind of stuff. So I think that kind of, and all the players that I admired, everything from Thurston were all the way through to like, you know, guys playing sort of more conventional stuff. They all have an element of that, the players that I admire anyway. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. <sighs> that was my time to shine, Joe. God. <laughs> Don't ask him about vocals or saxophone or anything. Like, <laughs> Jesus. That's our next question. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Prepared to be Yeah. So you're from Cape Town and moving down to Joburg, how did that influence your first album, City of Strange? You know, the songwriting changed quite a bit in that album. I think there's a market, there's certain types of songs that are more like funky, we were talking about earlier, and then there's songs that I think we're getting to more of the band's sound. And... Um, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think part of that. I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> I think that part of that songwriting change, part of that songwriting change, probably happened when we were up yeah. here. Yeah. So I think also moving here it was a commitment to the band. Like I mean, we we basically moved because of the band at that time because we were young and foolish, and uh, but it did say we are doing this and. Uh, and, and, and we lived together in a house. It was, it was a great time. We lived together in a, like a sort of a bit of a squat on the hillside mm. in Kensington. And, and we, we partied and we had a good time. And all, all of the songs are kind of narrative. I think everything out of the both albums. Like it does, the themes get a bit more broad on the second album. But the, the first one and definitely a lot of what's in the second one are very, um, they're all experiential kind of songs. So everything is... You know, if you pick them apart and you actually sort of went through the lyrics, it's all stuff that we did during, and they're all very Joburg relevant kind of thing. I think some of the stuff started in Cape Town, but it was, we hadn't really hit any sort of level of maturity before we came up here, I think. Yeah. Okay, so in terms of vocals, um, you've, you've got a very eclectic style. You, you sort of fuse rap and poetry uh, with a good sort of vocalization of it. Um, how did this develop and why? Why, why go that route? I was never a singer, and then we, when we started the band, we had this band practice, and this very, he's actually a friend of ours, very cool guy came in and he did some vocals, and then I kept saying like, no, more like this, more like that, and then, and then at the end of the session, everyone was like, well, why didn't you do it? Um, and I should have said no, <laughs> but I made a mistake, 
And I said yes, and I got into it. So I don't come from a long, like, it's not like my whole life I sang in the choir or I went through that process. I have always played music. I've always played, uh, been played wind instruments primarily. So they, they're quite similar to vocalization. So I think I have a certain jazz type thing that comes from playing saxophone and improvising and having like those uh, scales and things in my ear. And saxophone is quite similar to singing in terms of how you uh, think about what you're going to do. Because it's linear, you know, you do one note at a time, everything like that. So, so from that point of view, I think that's affected my singing. And then the rapping thing came in, I was a big Beastie Boys fan. I mean, all the lame white rappers, basically, I was into, um, or am into. And so I picked up on that thing. And then I think as we've gone along, I've moved further and further away from that. Mm. But the, very, the thing that I dig, especially being, say, a Rage Against the Machine fan, is when you're a singer and you have a, a section of song and you are, if you're always providing melody, it actually restricts some of the other harmony that the bands can express to a certain degree. They're kind of, in a way, they, so, so if you take Rage Against the Machine, uh, uh, what's his name, Tom Morello can pull out his thing and he can do all crazy noises and because, because uh, Zach is relatively monotonous at those points, or mon monotone, sorry, at those points, it allows him to go wherever he wants and it doesn't, it's not like standing on top of the, harm, on top of the melody line. So as much as I think I'm more of a singer, much more of a singer as I've matured into the thing than a rapper, I still think it's a very useful tool and it provides uh, dynamics and a chance for, say, for Dave to do some of the things he can do without being like, oh, Joe's singing a minor pentatonic or whatever lame thing I'm doing scale here now and therefore I have to express this or that. So, so yeah, that's how we, why we, I think that's why part of the reason, part of the reason that it stayed in the band is it's allowed us in our verse sections and things to kind of drop down and, and, be, and be more expressive and, and provide that dynamic. Mm. I'd like to scream more, actually. I'm quite into heavy music and I, I dig to scream more, but my voice doesn't handle it so well. So if I get overexcited, then I might do it once or twice in a gig, and the next morning I might be like, <laughs> So it's a trade-off. I mean, that's the thing about being a vocalist, is you're so limited by your own, by, by what your, your, your anatomy is. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I've been very lucky in that, but I mean, you know, there's some things you just have to also say like, oh well, you know, I'll never be a screamer because yeah. I'm too much of a pussy. Burton Bill. <laughs> exactly. So here's a question you probably don't want us to ask, but why did you break up initially? We ran out of steam. It's no, there's no like great, uh, I don't think there's any great sort of story behind it. I think we'd, we'd done, uh, by that sigh, I can tell Joe has an opinion on this matter. Say, go for it. Look, I, I think we went and we <laughs> did some European tours. I mean, Dad's right, there wasn't like an event. It's not like yeah. we walked out of some room and it's like, oh, you slept with my girlfriend, well, fuck you. It's like, there was nothing like that. Everyone got on, and in fact, I think before we broke up, we were actually had a, a lineup that was actually very, um, we all had a good time and yeah. got on. So actually, I, I don't think it was, it wasn't personal issues. But um, I think we went and we did these European tours, and they were so, I mean, they were hard, but they were amazing. And then you come back here, and you think, what are you really doing? So I think we needed to, personally, from my perspective, I also had some things I needed to do, and like, and, and everyone had, and I think, like, uh, we just decided that it was time to step away from it for a bit and it was mm. quite a pro it was a process we didn't just like say one morning like screw it it's over mm. we kind of talked about it and we were quite philosophical about it and then we thought it, it maybe was, we've it reached was, that point yeah it was sort of a, 
we played a show and then we just didn't play any more shows. It yeah. was as simple as that. We played them, um, was it rock something? I other? thought the bow, we did a bow. Yeah, like, we did we a bow did show. An awesome bow show. Yeah, it was packed. We did like a bow show and it was, you couldn't move. It was packed. There was like, I don't know how many people there and it was awesome and everyone was singing all the words. And I was like, and I think we left off that show and we're like, That's pretty what much. else are we going to achieve? Yeah. Like given the kind of music we play and who we are, what else are we going to achieve? Are we done? And we kind of said, we're done, you know? Yeah. And it, it was, was a good decision a, yeah. in retrospect. Like we, I've, many times over the last couple of years, I felt like that it was a bad decision because we could have done more or whatever. But now that we've done it again, I don't feel that way anymore because everything has, has sort of makes sense now in terms of our own like personal lives and things as well. What do you guys do during that time that you broke up? Were you still in touch with each other? Did you talk about reforming? When did that start happening? What was the... There was always a handful of opportunities to reform. I just don't think we ever, until this year, ever took any of it very seriously at all. So um, people had mentioned, oh, playing together, it would be great if you guys could get back together and do this. And, and, and I think there, it was never really a real possibility until this year. And as far as like all of us, yeah, every member of the band has stayed in touch, as, as in past and present. Like we all, like no, there, like I said, there was no, or like Joe said, there was no bad feeling or anything around the band splitting up. I think everyone just had their own thing to do and everyone went out and did it. And everyone is still involved in the music as well. So Joe was playing full time, like earning a living off it. And I w I've been playing solo acoustic stuff and um, everyone, Howie runs a studio, plays like session stuff on drums. Um, Brendan's down in East London. Yeah, Brendan's in East London. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, so everyone was just doing, yeah. their, doing their thing. Yeah. Even our old bass player, Martin, who died, he passed away. He was playing. For him even, I think, not being involved mm -hmm. in, the, in, the, in the band was not a bad thing because he got more and more into, he played more sessions and he played in the Afrikaans scene and he was playing in, like, in the cover band scene. He was doing much better financially. You know, being in a band is, I mean, like, I, if you're in a band, I don't need to tell you, but like being in a band is financially a huge sacrifice even when you're making money even mm. when you're making money it just means oh we've made some money we can spend it on the band that's mm. what it means because technically you should yeah. like it should yeah. be reinvested if you want to take it anyway. yeah i think that was another reason that's the, the big issue yeah. we were we were like how much more money are we going to yeah. throw at this i suppose it's just a lack of belief maybe a temporary we suspended the belief that we could actually do something with it. I think we were maybe, you know, in a pretty cynical place. So, yeah. so I think it was good to stop because we were in a, we were like, oh, you know, throw but, more money at this. But, we, you yeah. Know? Also at the time that we, sorry, sorry, I'm, I'm a great interrupter, but at the time that we stopped, three members of the band were, were essentially full-time professional musicians. Mm. Um, and that was, that was, that was a problem because we were all like, for myself, like balancing gigs. Oh, there's this new academics gig, we want to do it, but you know, it's going to be financially not viable and we've got this, I've got this other gig. And, and I think um, for, for all of us at that point, uh, it was including Martin and Brendan and Howie, who we, you know, we alternated drummers a bit. We were all in that position. And now that we're playing again, we've actually no one, uh, Dave is the closest thing at the moment to a full-time professional musician. I've kind of wound up that side of my life. so. In some ways, I think we're in a much better position to do things like uh, do some gig somewhere that's just going to be fun or going to be a viable, we think, good for the band. It's not like, oh, if I play, because, you know, the problem is rock, rock gigs on a Friday night and so is your, like, corporate show or whatever that you're doing that's actually paying your rent. So it's quite, it's a difficult balance. And I think we, we're better positioned now. We've got less of those 
clashes now mm. than we used to. So I think also once when Martin passed away, the it was it became less of an option to reform. And I think yeah. it, it, also, it also, like, the more we thought about it, the more we didn't want to do it. And then I think we, we actually had a discussion around that when we reformed this year um, about, you know, whether this was a good thing or not. And I think, yeah, we, we've kind of settled on it. And it turns out it's been an amazing thing. I mean, we've, we've yeah. spoken about it a lot over the last two sort of coming back together shows kind of thing. And uh, um, I think, yeah, that was also a factor in us thinking, look, maybe... Maybe that that's it, you know, that that really yeah. is it forever. Because Martin was a pretty integral part of the band, really. I mean, he was like a massive personality. So, yeah, that was part of the decision. decision. Yeah. And also in a way, and this sounds bad, but, you know, we didn't want to, we didn't want to do it also. And then like, I think like you, when you're in a band and you go and you do a show and people maybe chat to you and hang to you afterwards, hang with you afterwards and, and they think they, they maybe think they know you better than they do. Um, and I think with Martin that was the case because he was always the guy who, I mean, I'm a bit of like a, like a granny sometimes and I might be the first guy to go home and, and you know, Martin was always there until two in the morning and he, made, he knew a lot of the people and, and, he, and they all felt that they like knew him, but, but they didn't really know him because how could, you can't really get to know someone under those circumstances. So I think, um, for us, we also didn't want to come back and 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 like we didn't want to want to come back and sort of give the wrong impression. Well, I feel like a bit uncomfortable. Like sometimes I don't go from stage. I don't. Know. It's difficult to talk about it because I feel like people's perception of who he was or how his life was is of amongst our fans and people in the scene is not necessarily uh, that mm. that accurate. So it was a difficult emotional decision uh, to to actually come back and do it and think how are we going to do this tastefully. I think is mm. what I'm trying to say. You know. So are you guys officially back together then? I would say so. Yeah, I think we are. Yeah, we we don't have like like a, a massive plan. I think we are going to take it sort of bit by bit. But we've got we wanted we've got a lot of ideas, and I think writing songs again would be really nice. And we've got some really good shows. So um, two of which we've just played, and mm. they were epic. So mm. and 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 the one thing that was really humbling was to see how many people actually still care about the music. Which was, yeah, yeah that, that, that was the, the biggest thing for me. I thought, you know, sure, there would be a handful, maybe, you know, people we know from first time around. But I mean, we saw people that I haven't seen in like four or five years come to the show and they'd heard about it and they wanted to make a mission to see that show. And like, it actually, it, you almost feel like, okay, I have a responsibility now, man. These people like it. Like, it's, yeah, it's, and, it's, and lots of young yeah. people, like people in their early 20s that maybe were just coming onto the scene when we were just leaving it who are like, hey, wow, you guys are playing. And I'm like, who are you? You're so little. <laughs> but, but it's awesome. It's fantastic. So um, I think so. So I think, of that the, think the music had more, has had more um, legs than, than we maybe thought. But, but, but also we can be quite dark and cynical as personalities, the two of us. And a lot of people had told us, oh, you guys got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. And we just think, like, oh, yeah, everyone says that. And then you have a gig and they don't actually come. That was my, my thought process, because that's what happens. Everyone says, oh, you got a band, I'm going to come. And then like the night arrives, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know. So, and, but that's not what's happened. That's Most what I thought might happen. talk happened. like that. <laughs> 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 anyway. Lumberjacks all. 
Cool. So um, how's the scene sort of changed since you guys came back? A lot. I think there's, it's, the internet has done like, I mean, even five years ago, like five or six years ago, things were very different. Hey? I mean, you can go out now and you don't need the assistance that sort of, sort of big media or traditional, you know, the traditional record label structure provides. You can actually create that. And there's some bands that are like, there's some bands that are obvious examples of that, like John Wizards or bands like that, that are pretty much flying globally like uh, relatively, you know, I'm not saying like flying sort of 30 seconds to Mars flying, but you know, they're, they're doing well and they have done it all on their own steam. And really, and the evidence is that nobody here really knows what, what, what they're doing or who they are even. Um, and I mean, if you can make sort of, you know, Mail and Guardian's top 10 releases of the year in the UK or something like that and, and not be known in your home country, you know, it's, it's just testament to what the internet can do. And that was not a factor six years ago. I feel like social media has matured a lot. When we were on the scene, social media had come in. When we started on the scene, you flyered. There was no social media. And then maybe that was social media. I mean, you can get into death to like an, a philosophical argument of what's, what social media is. But that was how people communicated their things for whatever it was there were flyers and like bathrooms it was quite creative actually in a way you went into like a toilet and then someone had like put something there that mm. like you know it was quite punk and it was cool um but when when uh, facebook specifically first came along everyone was just like oh we don't have to fly we don't have to do anything blah, blah, blah. and they just people just dived into it and and i think that it was very uh sort of touch and go and very uh, people were finding the right, uh, the ways in which to use it. And I think that if you're a, yo a young band now, you're quite lucky because you're coming into an era of online social media that's quite mature and people have quite a good understanding. It's sort of been studied a bit more and people have, have it's been formalized. People have quite a good understanding of how to use social media um, effectively. And actually it's, I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, we used to go, you're playing on a Friday night and you go in like a Wednesday night or a Thursday night and you drive your car to Melville or whatever and you like lift up people's windscreen wipers and you put flies underneath. And it's, a, it's, that is, there's lots of reasons why it's superior to manage your online presence mm -hmm. over doing that. Really. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and I think that that's, the whole coming into the scene again, I'm just seeing like, wow, I'm, I'm like, I've avoided popular media as such for a number of years just because, and, and to come back in and to open my eyes again to things, I'm like, geez, this is a really mature, like established system for promoting a gig or promoting something that's not just like hacking and slashing around in the dark. Mm -hmm. So I think there was a period, uh, maybe a three or, f or four year f or two year period or whatever, where, where things were a little bit, there were, everyone's vibe was that there were no venues and no scene. And I think that that is, as all the methods of promotion have sort of settled, it seems that now there's a lot sort of more going on that's more effectively marketed. There's also the sound of things. Things have, are sounding better as well. Quality of recording. And I think that's, that's a factor of people being more connected as well. So, I mean, you could listen to an essay recording, even like go back to the like mid to late 90s and you go back to the... Like, the squeals and the amishams and all that sort of stuff. And you listen to the stuff and it sounds very different to what you'll hear out of a sort of A-tier essay band now. The quality of stuff has just taken a massive yeah. leap forward as well. And there's a critical mass of people doing stuff. Yeah. Whereas before I think it was quite isolated. You know, it's like a Durban scene, a Joburg scene, 
and a Cape Town scene and people sort of vaguely moving. Like the only the, the really big ones move between the centers, whereas everybody's doing that now. It's yeah. way more connected. Yeah. And I also think there was a period, and certainly around the period that we started pulling out, that we actually, I think, because it certainly made me a bit disillusioned, there was a period where, okay, so it used to be that you were a band and you went and you literally went and played every venue and you flyed and you played. And because you went, if you played in Joburg and Cape Town and, and Lake Pretoria and Durban, if you did that like two years in a row, people would get to know who you were because people went, sometimes often just went to venues because there wasn't so much going on. Now there's so much going on. There's like Snow White on ice and there's like Robbie Williams next door and then there's like the biggest 10 DJs in the world like three doors down so you've really got to pull your target whereas people used to just say go it's to the rock venues. Joe's general taste. Snow White on ice and Robbie Williams. Is kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, right. it's, Williams it's an average weekend yeah. like if those two are going down. Uh, anyway, I actually have a very, very important and profound yeah. point here. Dave. Yeah. Sorry, did I derail you? You did derail me. Now, what I'm trying to say is that so there was, nice. there, was that, <laughs> <laughs> there was that whole thing of, of touring and, and picking up fans in a very sort of organic way, like an old school way. And then I think what happened for a period is that people, especially with uh, the advent of uh, like uh, internet, what do you, not internet, sorry, I'm talking about DSTV, basically. People came out with these videos and they dropped, someone who had budget, dropped like 100,000K on, like on a video and they came out with an amazing video and everyone's like, wow, wow, wow. And then they ended up on the, like the biggest festival in the country, for example, without having done a single gig. That was a thing that happened for a while and that was very unhealthy, I think. Um, and it created a thing where if you had a lot of bucks to drop into your product in the first, before you even had a band, you could come out with this like sparkling thing and because it was sparkling, everyone was like, oh wow, this must be good. And that I think was unhealthy and I think that disillusioned me quite a lot coming from originally the idea that you went and played in Durban and you played in Joburg. But quality wins out though because ultimately that yeah. sort of stuff, I, I, if I think about examples of that sort of thing in the scene and, and in the scene generally, it, yeah. it dies eventually. Yeah. You can't sustain it that. It does die. And the other thing so. is, now and that's Dave's point earlier that like got me on this whole tangent that you're probably going to have to edit, cut out, <laughs> is, that, is that now you can go... I mean, there's a guy, there's guys say where we rehearse and like got an awesome little like nice studio and, and you can go there as like a band who's just got some cool ideas and you can come out with an awesome sounding product. You don't have to drop those big bucks in order to get to, to like sparkle. Now, if, now anyone, everyone can sparkle. So the question is more, I feel like it's more what are you doing than necessarily is it shiny or not? And I think that that's a big change that's happened. It, it, it's happened globally over like the last however many years, but here locally it's happened quite a lot in the last sort of like five years where, where really that, that if, if you're South African now and you produce a product that's really good, people aren't like, wow, and it's local. And I think that that's a very healthy thing for the scene and a lot of bands um, are playing all over the country all the time now. They've still got, so there's now a mix of doing that promotion, having the videos and whatever, but also getting in your van and driving down and playing the venues. And I think that that's very good for the scene. Any final words? Please don't make him talk <laughs> anymore. <laughs> yeah. Don't give him the opportunity. Close that window. <laughs> I've recently become a morning person. I like used to be an evening person, person, but I've become like a morning five person. In the yeah. morning. It's agonizingly it's just, early. It's ruining all my personal relationships. I just, yeah. no one wants to hang with me anymore. Well, it's because you go to bed at 9.30. Well, that's, that's a, a bit of an exaggeration for the well, people out there, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> We're supposed yeah. to look cool. Between yeah. you and me, yeah. yeah. No. Anyway. That's well, about thanks it. for having us. Yeah.
There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The new academics are back. So watch the space. I think there's a lot of good stuff coming from them. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, keep supporting local music.